0: And the USOPC in no way warrants that content of featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show.
1: This is one of the greatest lies in the history of speech. Mesdames et Messieurs. The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close.
0: Win. Win. brilliant brilliant, brilliant. But that is an Olympic champion.
1: Ready.
2: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever. I am your host Jill Jarris and joined as always by my lovely co-host Allison Brown. Hey, Allison, hello, how are you today? I am doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, thank you. I you know it's a weird week because the IOC is gearing up for the Youth Olympic Games, to which we both have said, meh. I think about? we've
3: said more than meh.
2: <laughs> we have some strong opinions, and this is our week for strong opinions about the Youth Olympic Games, right? Yes, I like strong opinions. So tell us why the heck we even have a Youth Olympics.
3: Well, I'm not sure I can answer that, but I can tell you where the idea came from. It was from an Austrian industrialist, oh, I get to say a German name, Johann i very good. Thank you, I was working <laughs> on that. And it was a, uh, Jacques Rogue really, the former IOC president really pushed this. It was in response to the growing global problem of childhood obesity and diminishing interest in Olympic sports among young people. The stated goals for the Youth Olympics include bringing together the world's best young athletes, offering an introduction to Olympism, innovating in education and debating Olympic values. The Youth Olympics have a summer and winter edition, each held every four years on opposite cycles to the Olympics. So in 2018, we had the Winter Olympics and we're gonna have the Youth Summer Olympics. The first edition was held in Singapore in 2010 and all athletes that compete must be between thirteen and eighteen years old.
1: Hmm.
2: You know, I don't even know when to talk about whether to talk about this because this whole obesity thing I call BS. Yeah, because because do you remember how London 2012 went on this big exercise push for the whole country? The London Games will help um, the help the UK get into better shape and get them more involved in sports, and it really hasn't.
3: No, because what it really encourages you is to sit and watch more Olympics.
2: Well, it does that. But I think the, you know, you have competitions of elite athletes and let's be honest, people are elite athletes partially because they have a lot of talent and then they make the time and have uh, some financial support or, you know, or they get, they manage to get financial support. Not everybody aspires to be an Olympian.
3: I just don't see
2: how watching
3: other kids play sports would make you want to play a sport.
2: Yeah, I I don't know, because I don't go and watch youth hockey, which happens all the time. I don't go and watch Little League or Pop Warner football. That's for kids to learn how to play sports and learn how to be a team and learn, learn learn those other lessons that sports teaches you. I don't know why this is such a big deal for having it. As an Olympics, like the end all be all right. of youth youth sports.
3: So Buenos Aires. So let's not put the cart before the horse. Okay. Uh, starts uh-huh. this week on Saturday, October sixth. There's going to be nearly four thousand athletes and about two hundred nations competing in two hundred and forty one events in thirty two sports. The budget was two hundred and thirty one million. <laughs>
2: What you can't see is that we're just smiling like that's really happening. (laughs) Right. It's sort of like, you know, when
3: you do a home improvement project, they always say add 20% to the budget and double the time. Right. Well, when you have an Olympics, it's like cut the time in half and double the budget. Right. So there's no way that this is sticking to 231 million. There are a couple of sports that you will see in the youth Olympics that you will not see in the regular Olympics. And I use the sport the term sport very loosely. There is dance sport which includes ballroom dancing and break dancing and roller sports which basically is speed skating on roller skates.
2: Roller sports is so happy to be finally they keep saying oh we're on an olympic program and i keep thinking yeah you're on the youth olympic program. You know, it doesn't it doesn't matter.
3: Yeah. And then, though, they do do something in the youth games that I'm a big fan of, which is mixed teams. So they Mm -hmm. have a swimming mixed relay with men and women. They have a cycling mixed team. And then in gymnastics, they do mixed pair acrobatics, which is basically cheerleading. Oh. You know how you see college cheerleaders where you've got a guy and a girl and he lifts her and throws her? Right. That's basically what mixed pair acrobatics is.
2: Huh. Yeah, I, I don't have no words for that, to be quite honest.
3: Yeah. So it seems like the Olympics are using the Youth Olympics instead of the old demonstration sports.
2: Right. It's like a testing ground. Right. So it does serve that purpose. To what end? I don't know. But although I will say that. Beijing is going to have a monobob competition for Beijing 2022, and the monobob, I believe, was in the Winter Youth Olympic Games. Yes. So they went monobob instead of adding four women bobsled. Anyway, we wanted to get somebody else's opinion on this. We wanted to get more of an expert opinion, so we talked with Rich Perlman this week. And Rich has been a key player in some of the world's highest profile events, including five Olympic Games and uh, 15 other multi-day, multi-venue mega events around the world. He is also the founder and editor-in-chief of The Sports Examiner, a thrice-weekly publication covering all the sports on the Olympic program, which I would say we are subscribers and I love getting this because it's a, a very handy guide to what's going on and quickly keeps you up to date on all the uh, Olympic sports. So we talked with Rich about why the Youth Olympic Games even exists and his thoughts on them. Take a listen. Thank you so much for popping on with us because we realize we have to talk about the Youth Olympic Games, but uh, the two of yeah, us yeah. are not fans. Pardon? Pardon?
1: You don't have to talk about it.
2: <laughs> well, we have to
3: we have to explain why we don't want to talk about them.
1: Okay, you and can ignore can... it, like most people will.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, we're because we were talking about it just a little bit, and and what we don't understand is why do these why do the Youth Olympic Games really even exist?
1: Well, um, the history is that the prior president Jacques Rogue, took over from Samarang and. Samrong uh, did an enormous number of good things for the Olympic movement, but he left shortly after the uh, Salt Lake City Games, which had the bid scandal. Yes. And one of the things that Rogue was uh, bound and determined to do was to try and extend the Olympic brand in a way which would be more uh, directly in front of youth. He correctly surmised that based on uh, television data, that the uh, audience for the Games was getting older and that it was important to make the Games relevant for younger people. So since the International Olympic Committee is primarily in the business of putting on events and not being a social justice movement, uh, despite what they would tell you now, uh, what was their response? Rogue's response was to put on an Olympic Games for children. So that's what he created. And there has been an enormous amount of um, speculation, let's put it that way, um, that after Rogue passes, he's an older, much older man now, well into his 80s, that the uh, Youth Olympic Games will expire uh, after he expires. But he's still around, and therefore the Youth Olympic Games are still around at a cost of hundreds of millions of dollars to the cities and countries that put them on. And I think it's... uh, in my view, anyway, uh, it's very hard to justify uh, that kind of expenditure for having 4,000 children come to an exotic city somewhere on the globe.
3: Has it done what Roga wanted it to do? Do you think it's expanded the viewership downward age wise?
1: No, I think it is uh, similar to, uh, if you think about it in retail terms, um, it's like opening a new store. If you open a new store and uh, people come to it, even if it isn't all the people that you want, it puts a stick in the ground. So if you have Olympic Games once every four years, Winter Games once every four years, and that's all you have, then it would be helpful to have a uh, smaller Olympic Games that's still part of the Olympic movement, uses the Olympic rings, flies the flag, does all those things plays the hymn, have people jump up and down, opening ceremonies, closing ceremonies, all those trappings of the quasi-religious festival, which is the Olympic Games, then it uh, gives uh, people another chance to say, oh, that's an Olympic Games, and, and and that's good. And because the IOC only pays for part of it, it gives people an opportunity to say, well, look, the, the IOC is directly, you know, helping youth. They're, you know, uh, have 4,000 kids who are coming to this place or that place and they're experiencing Olympism firsthand. Well, okay, you can make that case, but that doesn't mean that that new store is a success. It may just be another store. So from the standpoint of, is there more Olympism now than there was before the Youth Olympic Games, you can make that that case. Is it changing something? Is it making a huge difference? I I don't think so.
2: So I know that one of the things we looked at Uh, looked at your research which was talking about the cost especially when you look at how few athletes are going to these compared to how much they are actually costing uh host cities to put on because in the beginning uh jacques rogue said oh they aren't going to cost nearly as much as as a regular olympics but really they are costing they're getting up there
1: well uh rogue (laughs) made one of the great false comments of all time now i i met rogue and he's a very honorable man uh, and a very nice fellow. And I think he has nothing but the best intentions. Uh, and he's very much a Democrat with a small D, um, which was almost unthinkable uh, in the IOC of Juan Samrong, because Samarang was all was a diplomat. He was a diplomat for a fascist government in Spain. He was the Spanish ambassador to the Soviet Union. So the Soviet Union had elections but they weren't free elections. They made decisions, but decisions were all made before the decisions were taken, right? So the IOC membership had kind of a hard time with with Rogue because he really believed in open debate, open thought, open argument. He was fine with that because he was a a democratic Western European. So he said, uh, and I, I really think he believed this, he said that the games would be able to be put on for about 35 million U.S. dollars. This is one of the greatest lies in the history of speech. But I don't think it was something that he didn't believe at the time. His view was, if you go back, and he was very clear about this, the number of events should be limited, the number of participants should be limited, The uh, should use only existing facilities, nothing new should be built, do it essentially like you would do a regional games. That was his idea. The problem is that... An Olympic Games that have the five rings and has the flag and has all this stuff never ends up having something like a regional games. It's always the best. It's always special. It's always Olympic. And what uh, what uh, is Olympic about? If you go back to ancient times, it was about the gods on Mount Olympus. So it was always the high point, right? Olympia, the high point, the top of the mountain. So you can't have a $35 million dollar Youth Olympic Games. Maybe if we had a baby games with the five (laughs) rings, that might be able to get that off for 35 mil, but probably not. So Argentina has never, to my knowledge, based on my searches, has never published how much the games are going to cost. Their original bid, which I am sure has been exceeded, but their original bid was 104 million, and the previous games were over 150 in in uh, Singapore and in Nanjing. Uh, as a matter of fact, Nanjing, I think, was uh, over $200 million. So you have an enormous expenditure here, and everyone wants to make it great, and every city or country that takes this on doesn't do so because they want to contribute to the global Olympic movement. They have their own agenda. They have their own things that they want to achieve, and that's what drives their expenditure. So in China... You know, if the central government is going to spend 200 mil or more on a youth Olympic Games in Nanjing, well, maybe that's good for that province. Maybe it tells that province that Beijing loves them. And that may be worth it for them. But that has nothing to do with Olympism. It has nothing to do with peace through having everybody sit around and uh, sing kumbaya around the five-ring campfire, right? But that has to do with what China is interested in. I don't know what Argentina is going to get uh, out of this, but if you look at the map, and most people, I I don't know how many people could pick out Argentina on a map, but Argentina is kind of in a faraway part of the country of the world in the Southern Hemisphere. So you can say, if you are the Argentinians, hey, we're bringing a worldwide event of a relatively small scale, but at least it puts Argentina on the map in some places, and we couldn't buy that exposure for 104 million dollars or whatever it is you can make that argument i am sure that anyone who hears your podcast argentina will immediately adopt that argument because it is one way to do it but i really have a lot of a question about whether 104 150 or 200 million dollars is a good expenditure for an event that nobody cares about
3: are we ending up with even more white elephant facilities or are these countries turning around and using the tr- these facilities to then train the next generation of athletes?
1: Um, I think it's a little bit of an inside out. It's almost the reverse, Allison, of your question, because for 104 or $150 million, you can't build much, not with today's building codes and especially not in an earthquake-prone region like Argentina. Uh, so you're not going to build that much. What they are doing, uh, and this is really the, the dog chasing its tail, uh, or maybe I should say it's the tail wagging the dog, you have existing facilities which are rotting because they're not maintained. And so if you have an event like this, you can now justify, well, we're going to spend $4 million to update the field house, and we're going to spend $3 million to update the pools. And we have this dormitory for students, and the university built a new dormitory, and this one is kind of falling apart, so we're going to put $25 into rehabbing that, and that's going to be low income housing. So they're using the games, and I don't have all of the details. I've looked at the the plan uh, for Buenos Aires, and they're using almost all existing facilities. They're building almost nothing new, but they're rehabbing, updating, and now maintaining facilities that otherwise have not been Maintained properly. And I think um, your listeners, uh, unless they are from um, the Caribbean or from South America, uh, don't understand the nature of the thought process in um, that part of the world. In that part of the world, they don't maintain facilities the way that we do in North America, in part because the weather is so much different. In the U.S. and in Canada you have to maintain the facilities, or in your part of the country or north, the cold will kill them. The cold will destroy these facilities. In the Caribbean, and then as you go south, you have a situation where you have a lot of heat and a lot of humidity. Argentina, as you know, is exposed almost completely to the ocean, right? So you have a situation where the cold is not going to kill you, so the thing is not gonna crack up and burst. But if you maintain the facilities, you're going to expend an enormous amount of money because you have to regulate the temperature. So one thing that I heard was third hand. But I'm positive because I know the person that was involved in the conversation in Brazil. One of the uh, a very, very senior person in the government told a friend of mine, longtime friend of mine, and he was asked on the QT, you know, why? Why are you only going to have the facilities ready just before? The games in 2016 why aren't you done in 2014 or 2015 and then everyone can use it yeah. and this fellow this government official looked at my friend he says young man now i'm 62 my friend is about the same age but this fellow is in the 70s he says young man you're from the united states you have a completely different climate and a completely different way of operating we don't have the money or the teams like you do to have NBA games, NHL games, concerts. We don't have that. We have to maintain these facilities. We don't do it very well, and we don't have the money for it. So if we get the facility ready right before the games, it'll be in perfect condition. But afterwards, we will have a hard time maintaining it because that's not something we do. We wait until it really needs a lot of help, and then we refurbish. That's the way we do it. Now... I'm not saying that's Argentina's plan, but you see this throughout Latin America. And in part, it's because of the climate and the way that the society there is organized. They don't have the NBA. They don't have the NHL. And they don't have the concerts that we do. And those three legs of the tripod are what support every indoor arena, big or small, major league or minor league in the united states and if you didn't have that we wouldn't maintain our facilities either right even if if the weather was reasonably good all the time like we have out here in in california our weather is fairly temperate most of the time so we don't have this problem but even so the only reason that staples center and uh the the new oracle center up in oakland and all these places are maintained is because they have these huge amounts of revenue coming in from the NBA, the NHL, concerts, and similar kinds of activities. Other countries don't have that. And I think we as Americans don't appreciate that. So the Argentinians may be saying, well, OK, we need to upgrade all these facilities. The politics don't allow us to do that. So let's go get an event like the youth games. And so we'll have youth Olympic games. And everybody says, well, it's Olympic games. It has to be in great condition. So we'll spend $100 million and we'll refurbish it. That's exactly, even in North America, that's exactly the conversation that's going on now in Calgary, Uh, because in Calgary, the issue is devolving into, well, we can't get several thousand units of affordable housing built. There's no political will to do it. But if we get the games, then it'll get built because we need to have it for the Olympic Village. That's a real sad commentary on democracy. But you do what you have to do.
2: Thank you so much, Rich, for chatting with us and talking with us about this event. I I mean, like I I just feel like I have kid gloves on it because I I really don't like the concept. I don't like the fact that some second tier cities are maybe potentially getting hosed by having to host this e- of host a uh, Youth Olympic Games. They spend so much money on them compared to how many people are going because there there are like a, a it's maybe a third or a fourth of the athletes are going to Buenos Aires compared to what went to Rio and you're still talking about the same amount of nations being represented and spending hundreds of millions of dollars on 4000 kids just doesn't make sense and you have a no. huge and you have a huge program 32 sports you have to be able to put 32 sports on you're going to have, like, 8 to 12 people in some of these events? Maybe. Maybe. I don't even know. It's it's really frustrating to me that this happens. It's interesting because um, Rich did mention that he, he thought people in Buenos Aires didn't know that they were even going on. And I did kind of quickly glance at some uh, online newspapers today, and you don't really see mention of them. But I asked my Facebook network, because I have some friends down in Buenos Aires, like, do you even know they're existing or are you planning to go? And I got one who says access to her office is blocked because they're setting everything up for the opening ceremony. Oh, <laughs> She said, trust me, we all know they're happening here. But, it's, <laughs> but- And the funny thing, it's difficult getting tickets. And then like, yeah, they're free, but you have to go get a wristband and that's tough to do or they're gone. Somebody else I know already has a pass for everything and is going to make a schedule of what to go see, but uh, has to miss the opening ceremonies, unfortunately. Okay. So, you know, I think of myself
3: when I was a little kid
2: Mm -hmm. and I've
3: talked about this a million times on the show, but when I saw Nadia Comaneci in Mm -hmm. 1976, that's what made me get into gymnastics. Right. That's what made me really want to do that. And I learned how to do a cartwheel at some church picnic when all the big girls were doing cartwheels on the grass. I don't think watching other teenagers is going to make young people want to participate in sports. It's either you have a hero that you want to be just like or in your local community there are opportunities and reasons to do the sport but when some 15 year old phenom isn't it didn't matter how old nadia was that was not my fascination with her
2: i just because she her. was the the best in the world because it, and yeah. and i mean like the 15 year old phenom at the olympic level is not necessarily the norm right let's be very honest only a handful of those of olympians are that young. And granted, they tend to be combined in, or you tend to see them in certain sports, like gymnastics is rife with, you know, the you talk about the age dilemma in gymnastics and yes. in figure skating, because of course, the the younger you are, the lighter you are, and your body has your yes, yes. And so it's easy to do all of the amazing tricks. But you know, that's a different conversation. But does, I, I think still, And you get some swimmers who are young, like Missy Franklin was, like fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, Katie Ledecky was there.
3: Uh, Katie Ledecki rather, was very young when she. But she looked up to Michael Phelps. Right. It's like if you have a hero and the talent, she wasn't watching some fifteen-year-old at the Youth Olympics. That's not going to inspire kids to become involved in
2: sports, right? Or to watch the
3: Olympics,
2: right? I just it just feels yeah. like this is being shoved down our throats, right, like it or not. And I and like we didn't get into it with Rich, but it's also for me. And and I don't even have kids. I don't think I'd want my child to be on an international stage when no. they're 10 cuz then it just makes the the world championships go for younger and younger ages. Do we need junior I mean, I know there are junior world championships, do we need them?
3: I'm okay with jun- junior world championships because they, they're not in every sport.
1: Okay.
3: And they also tend to be much smaller, not less pressure because it's still pressure, but the scale is, is appropriate.
2: Okay. So you're not to, getting to... like the Olympic treatment. No, yeah. no, no, no.
3: But you know, and we all know, cause I've talked about this a million times. I worry about these kids. Mm-hmm. A 15-year-old should not be interviewed on ESPN and should not be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. It's wrong. It's bad for them as human beings. And I think, worst of all, we are making sports so unattainable at such a young age. Right. Okay. So, my daughter is in high school. Every kid who is on a sports team in high school has been doing that sport since grammar school, at least
2: yeah, so you're already saying that, if oh hey, I'd like to go and try track and field too late, sorry, sorry Charlie, you should have thought about is that too late, and so I think the Youth Olympics
3: is actually taking sports in the wrong direction. We're making it more prestigious, more elite at a younger age when we should be making it more egalitarian, more open, right
2: at all ages. Right. And that's what gets the obesity factor where you, you say, Hey, come on and try the sport. It's not a big deal that you have to be perfect at it. You know, right. try it out, see if you like it, play it for fun. Why do we need to have a global competition for three on three basketball or swimming and, and force a small amount of kids to go through that pressure and then make a large group of kids feel like they're not welcome in the sport.
3: Right. Totally. Because if you haven't been playing field hockey, which I know I hadn't even seen until I went to high school, you know, nobody on my high school field hockey team had ever played field hockey before.
2: And you had field hockey. How many we had yeah, field you, hockey, yeah. Yes. I mean, we were an all-girls
3: <laughs> school, so it kind of made sense. We didn't have a football team, so right. we could do other things. But like now these girls are doing field hockey in grammar school. So people who try out for the high school field hockey team are already experts at it. And everyone else is like, well, I've never done this before, so I can't even try.
2: Yeah. And I just think that's a horrible thing to do to people who show an interest in something. And of course, there's not really... At least here in the United States, school is where you get a lot of your sports exposure. There's not a ton of intramural sports or not a ton of adult sports. There's like adult baseball leagues and softball leagues and basketball and volleyball. Yeah. In bigger cities, you can get what? An Olympic fever sports
3: network? No, the senior Olympics. Oh, they've got those, but not through the IOC. But that's what I mean. Switch this around. Make this for like the over 65 crowd. Right. Fight off that diabetes. Yes. That would be a much better use of resources.
2: Right? Because then uh, every time, don't you, when you see Senior Olympic stuff, don't you get all excited about that? I do. Like, look what you can still do. Oh my gosh. You started lifting weights at 70 and now you're a big time bodybuilder. What?
3: Exactly. And I think that would actually do more for the children. And if you're really concerned about obesity, which I really don't think the IOC cares about my fat butt. (laughs) Let's just (laughs) put that out there. But if you could go and do something with your grandmother or your mother or your dad or your uncle all together Cause he's going to do the senior Olympics. I think you get more kids involved in sports and interested in the Olympics.
2: Right. And you Backward. know, and yeah, because it, it switches the mentality because the other thing you get is that with youth sports, it's a lot of parents shuttling their kids around oh. and sitting and watching them. Or, you know, if you were, maybe you were, are lucky enough to have a parent who drops you off and then comes and gets you. But instead of you being active your job is to shuttle your kid around and then watch them. Right. So that is inherently leading you down a road of non-activity. Unless there is something for you at whatever facility to do that you don't have to watch. There's I, I nothing. don't know Okay. There's never anything. Right. So then then that just means it's all about the kids. And once you become an adult, there's nothing for you.
3: Right. Because all you have time for is shuttling the kids around. Right. You know what used to annoy me when I would take Sarah to swim lessons? Her swim lesson was always too short for me to actually go into the gym. Oh, really? It was like 30 minutes, and you had to drop the F and you had to be there five minutes. So it's like I would have 10 minutes to like go walk on the treadmill. I'm like, could you make it 45 minutes so maybe I could get a 20-minute workout in? Right. But no. So I just sat there.
2: Yeah, and it just, when I I go to the gym, I went to the gym last night, and it it was super crowded, and then you looked in the pool and saw, like, the row of parents watching their children at swim lessons or practice, and that's frustrating. I mean, you just look at, like, oh, you're sitting there on your computers or tablets or whatever, and you have to be there so you can keep an eye on your kid because of safe sport, but I don't know. It's
3: frustrating. So, the bottom line is, we're not covering the Youth Olympics.
2: <laughs> yeah, this, this is, is the it.
3: First, this is the first and last time yes. we're talking about it. Yes. No daily don't updates, no nothing. No, no.
2: no. Oh, no. Lord, if you no, want to watch, watch it. Wrap up. Right. If you want to watch it, Olympic Channel has got some stuff on. Maybe your broadcaster that shows the Olympics. Go to olympicchannel.com and look it up if you want. Because we're not going to tell you. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care. And I don't care if they won medal. Like, there's pl- there are several olympians who have won youth olympic medals because of course the ioc wants to push that aspect as well look at these alumni big deal i don't care i don't care it's it's really the people who get into the Youth olympic games are i don't don't know if they're the best in their sport at the time but it's just like i i just don't think they've all matured
3: john neighbor didn't start competitive swimming till he was in high school i know
2: and i just think you imagine that today no you can't no i can't And that's really, that's really sad because kids should be able to explore a lot of things. They shouldn't be having to pick one sport, which is also bad for your body, as we are learning. You know, yes. you spend all of your time doing baseball and, hey, guess what? You have a shoulder surgery, like major shoulder surgery when you're in high school or earlier because that's all you've been doing. It's just, that's not good.
3: Okay, now I'm going to go yell at the kids to get off my
2: lawn. <laughs> <laughs> anyway moving on we have much more exciting news for the for the rest of the show we have some updates for ourselves one is that we have merch now very excited i'm so excited <laughs> it's nice I'm, isn't? Kind of, I'm a little too excited i gotta be honest because <laughs> i love, our logo is so cool i do love our logo yes we do have a great logo we had a wonderful designer work on it and we are excited to be able to plaster it all over shirts and stickers and laptop cases and notebooks and wall art or what have you. Everything that Tee Public has, we pretty much put our logo on. You can search for us on Tee Public. Our designer name is Olim Fever, so you should be able to find us there. And I know that t-shirts are prominent, but you can, you know, anything on the sidebar, go ahead and click on that and get some merch. They make great gifts. And when you purchase that, you give us a little bit of a boost to keep the show going. Another way you can boost the show is by becoming a patron of us. And we have a Patreon site now. Super excited about that. Patreon is a platform for you to donate to artists of all types. And as part of that, you become one of our Olympic Fever patron members, I guess you can say. And it's it's another little community and by doing so you help support the show as well because there are a lot of things we want to do to keep it going and it all takes a lot of time and time is money. And uh, it also takes money to run the show too. Every little bit helps. We have six levels of sponsorship from participation medal to a committee member and there are different perks for each. So we give you like special certificates and merch discounts and some levels have bonus clips from our interviews and we'll come up with other little kind of fun not just audio clips we may be able to do video clips in the future so it's really exciting we're really thrilled to have it we already have a donor very excited thank you listener don yes oh thank you so you will get your certificate very shortly and uh yeah please check out our site and we would love to have you be part of our Patreon. Group.
3: And if you have ideas for things that you would like as
2: gifts. Oh yeah. We are happy to rework those.
3: Yeah. If there's particular things, especially as we get closer to, to Tokyo 2020, there may right. be sort of event
2: specials. Right. That we do for some people. Yes. Yes. We would like to have events. We know we want to develop a pin at some point. Uh, Sea Public does not have pins like as an Olympic trading pin, but hopefully we can make those happen at some point soon. And I think that would be something would be nice to give to patrons. I think so too. Now it's time for our team Olympic fever update. Tofu. That's right. We have a big slice of tofu for you today. It's figure skating season again. So our figure skaters, uh, Nate Bartholomew and Deanna Stellato have been competing And they took second at the Andre Nepola trophy, which is great. It was out of four pairs. And so the competition got downgraded from this challenger from a challenger series to an international competition because there's regulations about that. So so um, Deanna Stellato and Deanna also participated in the Nabelhorn trophy this past weekend and in their short program. They placed third in their free skate. They placed second, but they were third overall behind uh, Alyssa uh, Imevova and Alexander Korovin and Alexa Smeka Kiernum and Chris Kiernum placed ahead of them. But they had a solid third place, and that was—I'm really proud of them. I mean, it's yeah, early oh, in the nice. season. It's early in the season, so everybody's program's a little bit rusty, and so they're getting their getting their skates back under them. And nice. it's nice that they are hitting the top of their the results. So I'm yeah. I'm quite happy with that. Congratulations, guys. Also in if we're gonna keep it figure skating. Oh, there we go. Meryl Davis and Charlie White and Megan Dumel and Eric Radford will be performing in the third annual Scott Hamilton and Friends Nashville Ice show, benefiting the Scott Hamilton Cares Foundation, that takes place on Sunday, November eighteenth at five PM at Bridgestone Arena in Nashville and there's more information on that at scottcares.org I know that listener Meredith is going to this and I'm very very jealous I I agree because the the lineup is amazing it's like everybody who's anybody in skating from even decades past will be there and so it's going to be a really cool show benefiting a great cause and uh, if you are in that area check it out and if you do get to go you tell us how that is because we want to hear about that Uh, Keeping it in skating, Megan Duhamel and Eric Radford have a book coming out November 1st called Soulmates on Ice. In the world of bobsled, oh, I feel so bad we forgot to mention that. We talked about Lauren being at the PUSH Championships last last week, and we forgot to mention that our boy Josh Williamson was also at the PUSH Championships, and he actually won. Yes.
3: Congratulations
2: to him. And we are so sorry we forgot. And then Lauren came in second at the same event. So it nice. looks like it's going to be a good year for Bob bobsled. So exciting.
3: Okay. So just something yes. quick I wanted to tell you. So yeah. I, I followed Josh, obviously, on mm-hmm. Instagram. Mm-hmm. And he posted this picture of them swimming in Lake Placid, like near Lake Placid. They were uh-huh. joking about it, that it was an ice bath. If you thought Josh was big when we met him last year. Oh, has he bulked up? He has totally bulked up. I know. He's
2: huge, but he wow. still
3: has his cute little smile and I would <laughs> still tell him he's got to eat his vegetables and go to bed on time. So,
2: okay, moving on. Moving on. Tokyo 2020 update. The applications for volunteers are now out and they are being accepted through mid-December and there are they are looking for 80,000 people to help volunteer. That's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. And they're going global. I mean, so don't think that just because you aren't Japanese doesn't mean that you won't be in it. I mean, our Fred Ed Schneider, he volunteered in Rio. So there are plenty of opportunities to be a volunteer. And I'm sure they're looking for people who speak different languages because, of course, there's going to be people from all over the world there. So could be a great opportunity. Yes. And then we've got news on the Olympic flame lighting. And that will be March 12, 2020.
3: Yes, very in excited. Greece. And then I didn't realize this, but the torch relay is going to begin at Fukushima.
2: That's going to be very nice. I'm that That's, that's
3: going to cool. be emotional. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's a beautiful way to honor that tragedy.
2: Yes. And celebrate where Japan has come from. And that really wraps it up for this week. We've got a lot of stuff going on. I'm exhausted. I'm tired too. It's like I've been schlepping <laughs> schlepping this podcast around from sport to sport. <laughs> and I in just the, sit back here in the minivan. Yeah. I of
3: it. The <laughs> and now at least we don't have to wash each other's laundry.
2: Oh, thank goodness. Thank that goodness. would be bad. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that means we'll catch you here back next week. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, keep the flame alive.
0: We love to hear from you. Email us at info at com, or leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. You can also interact with us on social. We're Fever on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep the flame alive.
1: It's always the best. It's always special. It's always Olympic.